0: no breakfast no worry it's news brunch from boston university
1: good morning and welcome to this edition of wtbu
2: news brunch i'm sophie eisenberg and i'm kendall tamer topping our news at this hour seven democrats will take the debate stage tonight in south carolina ahead of this weekend's primary Most candidates will likely be seeking to target Senator Bernie Sanders, whose momentum is only gaining after success in Nevada last week. South Carolina is crucial for former Vice President Joe Biden, who has been lagging so far and is hoping that a win in the state, which has a large African-American population, will give his campaign a much-needed boost.
0: People are looking at now, uh, you know, not only, as I said, who can win and win the presidency, but who, in fact, is going to be in a position to be able to help maintain the House of Representatives, increase voters there, numbers there, and uh, to uh, win back the Senate? we got to do both in order to make our plans work.
2: Former Mayor Pete Buttigieg is also hoping for a significant boost in South Carolina as pundits have criticized his lack of popularity among black voters. He was heckled as he marched to the striking McDonald's workers in Charleston with protesters shouting, he can't be our president, where was $15 in South Bend? South Carolina marks the beginning of a rapid acceleration in the race as Super Tuesday next week will bring 14 states' nominations. That's right.
1: Super Tuesday is a week from today, and voters in 14 states go to the polls. About a third of the Democratic delegates are up for grabs. But early voting has already started in Massachusetts, and WTBU reporter Ina Joseph is just back from City Hall where Bostonians are casting their votes. Hi, Ina. What's the turnout like?
2: Good morning, Sophie. It was only on the quieter side this morning at City Hall, but based on the incredible turnout yesterday when early voting kicked off, it's bound to get a busier, a bit busier this afternoon.
1: And what did you hear from the voters?
2: Well, it seems like Boston voters are all over the Democratic spectrum. Here's a sample of three voters I spoke to this morning. Yeah, I like some of his ideas, but I don't think he's going to... Win the general election, I think Gorbachev is kind of the middle of the road can attract voted mm-hmm. on both spectrums.
0: It's Mary Beth. I vote for Michael Bloomberg. I think he'd make a good president and I think he could beat Trump. Um, my name is Kate Henning and I'm from Boston. I voted for Elizabeth Warren. Um, I think she has the most comprehensive policies to address the issues that matter most to me and to other Americans. And like, she's in it for America and not for herself. I see that in her.
2: Yeah, so even though support is spread across the candidates, one thing these voters seem to agree on is how convenient and effective early voting was for everybody. Especially with the lovely weather outside today, voters seemed really excited about getting ahead of the game.
1: So did you vote today?
2: I did not. I actually discovered I'm not registered in Massachusetts, but I am in my home state, New Jersey, so I'll be trekking home on June 2nd to hit the
1: polls. Um. Thanks, Sina.
2: Thanks, Billionaire candidate Michael Bloomberg is redefining the rules of social media use in a presidential campaign. On Friday, Twitter suspended 70 accounts that were spamming pro-Bloomberg content across the platform, which a Twitter spokesperson said was, quote, violating our rules against platform manipulation and spam. This was part of Bloomberg's strategy to hire hundreds of so-called organizers who would spend up to 30 hours a week recruiting friends and family to post supportive posts. Tonight's South Carolina debate will see whether Bloomberg can improve his public appearance to match his online spending.
1: Tonight's debate will likely see Medicare for All back on stage. WTBU commentator Catherine Swindle says Americans have a lot to learn from the United Kingdom.
3: As the Democratic primaries continue, tensions rise higher than ever in the clash over Medicare for All. In last week's Nevada debate, Warren Savage booted judges' idea for a public option, calling it a PowerPoint, not a plan. She has sailed Klobuchar's policy as just a post-it note that says, insert plan here. Healthcare and who pays for it is a vitally important issue and voters need to see it hashed out as they decide which candidate to pick as the nominee. But as someone who comes from the UK, a place with universal healthcare, it frustrates me to see them quibbling over numbers and premiums and insurance plans. I would love to see Warren or Sanders try to articulate how it is so much more than a policy point. It's an entire societal ideology. You've surely heard the saying, we're born alone and we die alone. Well, that doesn't have to be true. An all-encompassing healthcare service, free at the point of use, is the clearest symbol of a society that protects you no matter what, cradle to grave. It says, you will be born into a world that wants you to thrive, that will pick you up when things are at their hardest and will treat you with dignity and care at the end. The UK's National Health Service isn't perfect, far from it. It's grappling with underfunding and staff shortages and how to integrate with community services. But when it was set up in 1948 by Nairn Bevan as part of Britain's post-Second World War Labour government, it had a key principle that I think remains crucial to this day, that it was not just a safety net for the poor, but would universalise the best care. From the day you are born, no matter who you are, the state is saying, You deserve the best we have to offer. The cost may be high, but that is far outweighed by not having to worry about bankruptcy if you get sick. The state provides for the mental well-being that comes with knowing that if the worst happens, you will be cared for. And they trust you will provide for society in return with your knowledge, your labour, yes, your taxes and your kindness. For WTBU News, I'm Catherine Sundles and that's my opinion. Harvey Weinstein is in a prison
2: hospital this morning after being convicted of rape yesterday. Weinstein was found guilty of criminal sexual acts in the first degree related to one accuser, Miriam Haley, and rape in the third degree related to Jessica Mann. After Weinstein was taken into custody, he was supposed to be taken to Rikers Island Infirmary Unit. However, his ambulance was rerouted to Bellevue Hospital due to issues with his blood pressure. The Weinstein trial and the Me Too movement surrounding it may mark a significant shift in how juries look at rape charges. This morning, I spoke with Gina Sacramella, the executive director of the Boston Area Rape Crisis Center, about how she felt about the verdict.
4: I think we feel probably similar to most folks who are supporting survivors and feeling glad for the um, guilty verdict, that that is a real testament toward um, justice, um, but also not great about the um, counts that were not found, where he was not found guilty.
2: Scaramelsa also said that she feels the trial and its public attention will hopefully change the way these kinds of trials are approached and decided.
4: You know, I think it's probably much too soon to say that um, we're going to see a major difference in how cases get prosecuted, which cases get selected for prosecution, and how they get handled. Um, But Obviously, such a high-profile case, I'm sure, will be well-studied, and we definitely support prosecutors' offices and police having the resources that they need to be able to um, work on cases that are more complex.
2: That was Gina Scaramella from Boston Area Rape Crisis Center. We'll be right back with more from the WTBU News Brunch. Stay with us.
3: I've been down there.
1: Stocks opened slightly higher today on Wall Street after fears about the coronavirus led the market to plummet over 1,000 points yesterday, but they soon dropped another 300 points. Markets in Europe and Japan are not faring much better. Meanwhile, Defense Secretary Mark Esper held a joint news conference last night with his South Korean counterpart, announcing changes to the country's joint military training exercises.
5: General Abrams and General Park are looking at scaling back the command post training due to concerns about the coronavirus.
1: Despite widespread concern about the virus, the World Health Organization's chief has so far declined to declare a global health emergency a pandemic and is urging countries not to close their borders. Using the word pandemic now does not fit the facts, but it may certainly cause fear. The White House has sent lawmakers an urgent $2.5 billion plan to contain the virus. But Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi says it is not enough. Pelosi was critical of the president's proposal to cut $1 billion out of the Centers for Disease Control's budget. Back here in Boston, Chinese students at BU are trying to get on with the semester, but it's not always easy.
0: Uh, For the first week of school, I wore masks to school, but then like... Uh, like, people give me looks, so so I stopped.
1: That That's a Chinese student from China right near Hong Kong. She feels pretty sure that anyone who is Asian and wearing a mask would likely have gotten the same looks. It's annoying to have to go around explaining that she's not sick, but she says she also understands where people are coming from.
0: If I'm in mean China, say, and I saw people wearing masks, I would also... Try to, like, not stay too close, because, well, it's a very uh, special time.
1: Mainly, she's concerned for her parents, who are stuck at home with no masks, staying up until 3 in the morning in order to be able to order food. They don't dare leave the house to go to the supermarket themselves.
0: If you are in the public and not wearing masks, like, the police will literally take you away. (laughs)
1: Former Egyptian leader Hosni Mubarak is dead. The former autocratic president led the nation to peace for nearly 30 years before being ousted in 2011 during an Arab Spring uprising. State TV said Mubarak died Tuesday at a Cairo hospital. He was admitted for an unspecified surgery. He died of complications, but no other details have been released. He was 91 years old. President Trump is on a pageantry-filled tour of India, including visits to the Taj Mahal and Gandhi's home. Yesterday, he announced a major arms sale between the two countries in front of a crowded cricket stadium. I
2: am pleased to announce that tomorrow our representatives will sign deals to sell over $3 billion in the absolute finest state-of-the-art military helicopters and other equipment to the Indian Armed Forces.
1: Trump's main goal for the trip was to reach a trade agreement for the two countries, but that deal has so far failed to materialize.
2: I am optimistic that working together, the prime minister and I can reach a fantastic deal that's good and even great for both of our countries.
1: Over in New Delhi, protests continued against India's new citizenship law, which uses religion as a criterion to provide preferential treatment to non-Muslims.
2: We'll be right back. Stay with us for more of the WTBU News Brunch. Sparks and smoke on a red line train raises concern for MBTA riders. Last night the Red Line experienced delays after a train caught fire that sent it into smoke at the Broadway station. A cell phone video taken off Reddit displays the scene of the incident.
4: Straight fireworks. Straight fireworks, Lord is the fence when a f explode. What the f- Here comes the smoke. Here comes the smoke!
2: MBTA reps declined to comment.
1: If you've ever tried going downtown without your car, you know it can be frustrating. Pedestrian crossings and bike lanes are often missing or inconvenient, and connecting to the T from a bus isn't always easy or even safe. Well, the City of Boston is launching a new effort to change all that with a new urban planning project called Connect Downtown. I went over to City Hall to find out more and met Amin Jamal Adin out front waiting alone at the bus stop on busy Cambridge Street.
4: I usually drive, but I'm just coming from the airport, so I'm just taking the public transit. I try to utilize all modes of transportation, but primarily, I drive.
1: A dean says he almost never uses public transit because it's just too difficult to navigate. But the Connect Downtown project aims to make it more tempting for people like Adine to leave their cars behind when they go downtown. The idea is to make life safer and more pleasant for pedestrians, cyclists, and public transit users in the downtown area. All while contributing to the city's climate goal to become carbon neutral.
6: So we're... Installing EV chargers um, in municipal parking lots, Um, we're expanding our bike network, um, and we're making it easier for people to walk to their everyday needs through um, development projects um, and via street design improvements.
1: That's Stephanie Seskin, the Transportation Department's first ever active transportation director. She's the one behind all those bright blue bikes you see people riding around. And it's her job to make walking and biking into more attractive options for Bostonians.
6: Hopefully what you should be expecting is a much better environment for walking and biking, streets that are safer for everyone, slower vehicle speeds, fewer drivers just racing by.
1: There will be some construction, but Seskin says many fixes won't take more than two or three weeks. Others will take longer. Ideally, the pain will be worth the gain. Some plans are already in the works for improving bike lanes and pedestrian street crossings around the Public Garden and Boston Common, but Seskin says the project is still in the early stages. That's partly because Seskin and her colleagues want to use suggestions and feedback from residents to shape many of their designs.
6: Transportation is a really personal issue, right? And our residents are experts. Um, So we want to make sure that we really understand what their experiences have been, the things that they notice, the things that they think are good.
1: This spring, Connect Downtown will be hosting three open houses and weekly office hours at several public libraries. The next office hours will be held from 12 to 8 p.m. this Thursday at West End Library. Anyone with questions, suggestions... Or opinions is welcome. And now on to Frank Hernandez with our environmental news. Thanks, Sophie.
5: The students of the University of Pittsburgh are entering their fifth day of protests calling for the university to divest from fossil fuels. WTVU's Hannah Harn spoke to a core organizer of the Fossil Free Pit Coalition, and she's here with an update. Hannah?
7: Thanks, Frank. The Fossil-Free Pitt Coalition first presented its demands for divestment to the University of Pittsburgh's Board of Trustees in September of 2019. Now they're entering their fifth day of a sit-in at the university's Cathedral of Learning. Corps organizer Emily Judici said the coalition has received support not only from other student groups, but from local politicians as well.
4: And we've been getting a lot of support from students and the local community. Like students uh, come up a lot and ask how they can be involved. Uh, And local politicians have actually come out to show their support, like Anita Prezio and Bethany Halam. And local grad students have also come out and helped with the campaign.
7: Judici says that the community has stepped up by donating food and resources to the protesters, and some professors have even hosted their classes at the sit-in to provide extra bodies. However, while the Student Code of Conduct states that students have the right to peaceful protest as long as they do not violate public law or interfere with the educational processes or rights of other members of the university, there is some concern about potential administration response.
4: We have a lot of support, as I said, from the community and from other groups, so I know that we can keep going strong um, in our sit-in, but... We're not sure if admin is going to take uh, stronger repercussions against us as students using the code of conduct and saying that uh, we're not abiding by it by having this fit in. Uh,
7: the university's board of trustees also declined to comment. Back to you, Frank.
5: Thanks, Hannah. Is there anything like this happening at BU?
7: Yeah, there are actually uh, a divest BU group on campus, as well as one at Boston College and Wesleyan University. And back in September, a BU professor was arrested for protesting uh, a compressor strike.
5: Hannah Harn for WTBU. Scientists from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration agree that 2020 will be among the 10 warmest years on record, with an almost 50% chance of being the warmest year ever. Climatologist Karen Gleason adds that 2020's January surpassed the most recent record holder.
4: It was the warmest January on record, and we exceeded the previous warmest January on record in 2016 by 0.02 degrees Celsius.
5: Early in February, weather stations recorded the hottest temperatures on record for Antarctica, with temperatures reaching 64.9 degrees Fahrenheit, around the same temperature as Los Angeles that same day. The warm weather are in the, wind, the warm weathers aren't just affecting us humans, but also the wild animals in the region. A typical New England night. The whoosh of cars passing by, the buzzing of light posts on, and the careful howling of the cold wind blowing. These are the traditional sounds of New England suburbia. However, wildlife officials warn of a potentially new sound being heard a bit earlier than usual. The growl of a bear. The warm weather and minimal snowfall is making the black bears from New England states like Vermont, New Hampshire, and Massachusetts incredibly active this year. Despite what many might consider common knowledge, bears aren't exactly true hibernators. Bears will get up and search for food, and if they find a good amount of it, they'll stay up. See, it's not the cold that makes bears hibernate, but the lack of food in winter. Mass Wildlife Chief of Information Marion Larson says if it was colder and snowier, the bears would go back to sleep.
4: Food is the major reason that they're out there. If there isn't food, if it's covered by snow, for instance, that kind of triggers them to go into sleep.
5: So are these warm winters a recurring thing or just bad luck this year? Andrew Timmins, Black Bear Project leader for New Hampshire Fish and Game, says that it's a bit of both.
2: You know, last year we had a pretty late spring, but I can, I can recall some, some year or two prior to that, things melting pretty early. So hard to say, but I mean, I certainly think there's a trend that our winters are getting shorter and getting milder. And I, I yeah,
5: who, you know, who knows
2: exactly what's going on, but certainly seeing it more often for sure.
5: So what can people like you and me do? Well, the best thing to do is to be proactive and protect ourselves and our property. Wildlife officials recommend taking down open food sources like bird feeders and putting the garbage out the morning of pickup, not the night before. Do these things, and you're sure to avoid a grisly mistake.
2: Thanks, Frank. That was WTBU environmental reporter Frank Hernandez. We'll be right back.
1: NASA mathematician Katherine Johnson is remembered for her lasting contributions to space exploration. Johnson died yesterday at 100 years old. Johnson was represented in the film *Hidden Figures*.
8: Half the data is redacted.
3: Well, what's there tells a story if you read between the lines.
2: You did the math.
3: Yes, sir.
1: Johnson gained recognition through the film for her lasting legacy in her work done for NASA during the space race. She helped to put men on the moon through calculations she contributed to the initiative. She was awarded the Medal of Freedom from President Obama.
2: Business seems to be thriving at Daryl's Corner Kitchen and Bar in Boston. People are coming for food and live music in the midst of Black History Month and the Black Restaurant Challenge, an annual annual initiative to get people to explore Black-owned restaurants and bars in Boston. This is the third year, and Daryl's kicked off the challenge on February 1st. I sat down with owner Nia Grace to discuss the event and what it does for business before and after.
8: Our business has been really good for uh, February but I think what's most exciting are the new faces and I think that most of the restaurants will go ahead and testify to that piece that hey you know our business is typically steady but the new faces and that increase is is absolutely excellent.
2: So would you say that in the months following Black History Month and the Black Restaurant Challenge that this trend continues?
8: I do believe that after being introduced to a new location and and liking it, enjoying it, it then becomes one of those destinations on your list. And so inadvertently it's going to actually help and trend upwards throughout the rest of the year.
2: So you would say that the Black Restaurant Challenge in general has been effective?
8: I think that the Boston Black Restaurant Challenge is absolutely effective in calling attention to things that people may not have had on their radar in the first place. And, but, but the ultimate drive is business, and I do believe that it's been effective in that way. I think that people can absolutely testify to the fact that we are getting more business, we are seeing more faces, and this is something that we love and would hopefully try to continue this kind of initiative year-round.
2: That was Nia Grace, head of Daryl's Corner Kitchen and Bar in Boston.
1: Friends, family, and fans are mourning the loss of Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna. At the Staples Center in Los Angeles yesterday, thousands gathered to commemorate the death of the Bryants. Pro Basketball Hall of Famer Michael Jordan was one of many well-known figures in attendance. Jordan gave a heartfelt speech on his connection to Kobe and how he affected Jordan's life.
8: He wanted to
4: be the best basketball player that he could be. And as I got to know him, I wanted to be the best big brother that I could be.
1: It was an emotional day for Vanessa Bryant. It's, it's unlikely that there was a dry eye in the room during her speech to Kobe.
2: God knew they couldn't be on this earth without each other.
0: He had to bring them home to heaven together. Babe, you take care of our Gigi.
1: Bryant's widow filed a lawsuit yesterday against the Island Express Helicopters, the company that operated the helicopter Kobe Bryant and eight others died
2: in. Today, the Boston Red Sox continue their spring training in Florida with a game against the Baltimore Orioles. But after trading valuable players this winter, fans are skeptical but hopeful for what's to come this season. WTBU reporter Emily Wilson caught up with fans to see what they think is ahead for the Red Sox.
0: It stunned Red Sox Nation when the Sox traded Mookie Betts, who was the MVP of the team. NBC Sports Boston host and Boston University sports journalism professor Michael Hawley says the season will be fine, but it's unlikely for another player to step up to the MVP role that Mookie Betts held.
5: I'm honestly a little bitter still, so it's hard for me to separate my feelings from the team overall because I think they made a Horrible trade of Mookie Betts. It's a terrible trade, maybe the worst trade the franchise has ever made because they traded a twenty seven year old player in his prime, homegrown player, for a twenty three year old player with back problems and two unknowns.
0: But Holly sees a silver lining.
5: If you want some good news, they still have a lot of pl- uh, talented players on the team. They should be okay. I think uh, they'll probably win about 90 games.
0: At Cheeky Monkey Brewing Company near Fenway, manager Joe Spano has worked four Red Sox seasons at the sports bar. He echoes Holly's sentiments.
5: The Red Sox can expect to be really bad. Um, they pretty much gave away a franchise, one in a lifetime player and replace him with a subpar player who has a pretty bad history during his Triple uh, A days. While Spano
0: explained the Mookie trade will hurt the team, he is still cautiously optimistic that the team will do okay.
5: As a Red Sox fan, it's a new season, it's a new start at life, a new start at the season. Everyone's always hopeful. Um, we got a lot of younger players that are coming up, like Bobby Dalbeck and um, Rafael Devers, who had an amazing year last year. So I always try to stay optimistic, but if I was a betting man, I, wouldn't, I would probably bet on them not making the playoffs. But either way, we're a loyal fan base, and we're just excited for the season to start.
0: Red Sox opening day is on March 26th at the Toronto Blue Jays, and their home opener is on April 2nd against the Chicago White Sox. For WTBU in Boston, I'm Emily Wilson.
1: Finally today, fans of the film 2001 A Space Odyssey know HAL, the artificial intelligence construct that runs the spaceship. Well, now HAL has a new
2: claim to fame. You probably know that many antibiotics are ineffective because more strains of bacteria have become resistant to the older drugs. But now scientists at MIT have created an antibiotic using artificial intelligence that is more powerful than anything else out there, and they're calling it Hallison, after our friend, Hal. And that will do it for this edition of WTBU News Brunch. I'm Kendall Tamer. And I'm Sophie Eisenberg. Please stay tuned
1: to WTBU for all your news, sports, and music. We leave you now with more of 2001 A Space Odyssey.